Number one on my list should come as no surprise to anybody. As promised, as we welcome you to this 482nd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, just 18 episodes short of our halfway goal of 1,000 episodes, we'll probably have to do something really special, and I want Ryan involved, Greg involved, maybe we call our buddy Bernie uh, for number 500. Sean Doe, Sean Nichols. Sean's got to be. Sean, uh, yeah, Sean, Vancouver Sean's got to be involved in it. I don't, I feel sorry for bringing in the other Sean because it's just rip on the Detroit Lions all the time and it's just so easy to do. Uh, but he's a great guy. I really liked him. Uh, anybody that can come into this environment with a Detroit Lions jersey <laughs> on, with all the years of crap he's had to put up with, you got to give him credit for that. But as again, we welcome you to this 482nd episode. Um, I am going. I'm on a crusade here, folks. I will condense it a little bit, but I'm not going to stop. I will not stop doing it because um, I need or we need your help here on Unscripted. Um, We have been doing this now, again, for almost 500 episodes, and our subscription numbers and our download numbers are fair, but they should be and could be a hell of a lot better. And I think that Chris and I have proven through this whole 400 and now 81 previously produced episodes that we give good content, we give unbelievably good opinions, and I think we've been consistent. Um, I learned this week that most podcasts don't make it to their 50th episodes, and here we are at almost 500. Mm -hmm. And um, we would love it if you would go to our Patreon page and throw us a few dollars. That would be awesome. But the bigger goal here, folks, is to get subscriptions, to get subscriptions so people, namely advertisers, can see that we're doing some good work here. And ultimately, I'm asking if you would go on to one of our... We've got nine different social media avenues, but the ones that you can subscribe to, there are five of them. And I'm asking you if you would take the time to go on to one of these or all five of them and hit the subscribe button. That's all. That's all I'm doing. It doesn't ask... It doesn't... You don't have to put up money. Um, But realistically, folks, this is a perfect time to be in a podcast situation like we're in because... How many episodes can you continue to watch of reruns and reruns and reruns and old sports reruns of games and reruns? I mean, it's getting tiresome. And we're only really about two weeks into this in North America, at least. This is a great entertainment way, we think. And if you would kindly go on to our iTunes page, our Google Play page, the Stitcher page, the TuneIn page, or our Spotify page, and subscribe, we would be eternally grateful. And Chris doesn't want me to get morbid and doesn't want me to continue to harp on you guys, but I do have to let you know and remind you every once in a while that we would appreciate your support because moving forward, getting helping us accumulate subscriptions would be very beneficial to the future health and well-being of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. As promised on this 482nd episode, Chris last night, we were texting back and forth, and and obviously during this time, um, you know, unless John Jones keeps doing stupid things, which is <laughs> quite easily possibly to, possible to happen, um, 
we don't have a plethora of things to talk about. We can talk about when Gary Bettman or Jane Goodell's husband or uh, Robbie Manfred or uh, Adam Silver talk about when their leagues are going to come back and how we're going to reschedule the Masters, how we're going to reschedule the U.S. Open. But, but again, nothing. we are in such a state of flux right now. We don't know our heads from a hole in the ground. We don't know when the next shoe is going to drop. It was reported this week that in, what is that damn place in China again? Wuhan. Wuhan, where this supposedly all started. And we don't know how far it went back. We first started hearing news reports about this in January, about how Wuhan had the worst day. Their worst day through this whole pandemic was 125,000 cases. And last week they were down to zero or I don't know, maybe 125. It was a really minuscule number considering that back in mid-January, they had reported 125,000 cases in one day. Now we've gotten to the point that the country that has the most confirmed cases right now of the coronavirus is in the United States. So we've got some time to catch up to get to where they are in the Far East, for damn sure. But... um, we, Chris came up with a very interesting topic. I uh, enjoyed it right from the beginning. And um, so we're going to go with it today. Uh, Chris was asking between himself and myself, our top 10 sports highlights of all times. I think if you've listened to me at any time during the previously now produced 481 episodes of our little program, that I am very very particular about my favorite teams and where those teams are located. So you're going to have a pretty good idea of what my list is going to look like. But I am really excited because Chris goes way outside the box. I'm very excited to see what Chris's list uh, is going to entail. So having said that, I'm going to have Chris lead this off today. Chris will give us his numbers 10 through 6. Then I will follow with the same numbers then Chris will follow with his five through his number one, and I will follow after that. So I hand the microphone over to Mr. Fluke to get this little party started as we start our top 10 sports highlights of all time. Thanks, Mike. Okay, yeah, this was actually fun to make, and this is uh, an interesting list to make because, I mean, if you asked me this even next week, I might come up with a oh, lot of different sure. ones. This is this is really hard to have a definitive list when it comes to this thing. So, and then of course, you know, I like my lists to be extremely unique. So uh, this is going to be that. A number of my highlights aren't even for, you know, between the whistles or anything. It's it's after the play was over or nice. something like that. You know, so I've, I've got some things like that. So uh, I bet if you had everyone on earth do that, uh, not no one else would come up with the same list as, as me, and that's for sure. So we'll get it started with uh, number 10, something from wrestling. So uh, at King of the Ring 1996, it's, it's well known, it's remembered because that's where, that's where Stone Cold Steve Austin coined the phrase Austin 16 for the first time, which led to him becoming the number one seller of wrestling merchandise of all time, uh, beating even Hulk Hogan and anyone else because of that Austin 316 shirt. And he said that because Jake the Snake was a born-again Christian, and so he's like, oh, you talk about your John 316, while well, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. And so then that shirt was just crazy. But the moment that happened earlier in the night there, when I started watching wrestling and, and watching WCW a few years earlier, in about 1993, he was a tag team with Flying Brian Pillman. 
and they were the Hollywood Blondes, and Stone Cold had, well, he was stunning Steve Austin, he had blonde hair, and they were a great team. Then when they go to WWF years later, they have this moment in the pay-per-view, and they're just walking by each other, and it's the ultimate ships passing in the night moment, and I've never seen anybody else talk about this, but to me, I've never forgotten this visual, because you see them walk past each other, and Pillman was kind of crazy, and he kind of looking at him like, oh yeah, I kind of know you, and Austin just kind of stared at him. And you see them walk by each other, and Austin then, yeah, two hours later, so goes goes on to superstardom and immortality, and a year and a half later, Brian Pillman is dead of a drug overdose in his hotel room, and just those two walking by each other and looking at each other as they pass each other in every way possible and go in opposite directions literally with their lives is one of the most eerie, memorable things I've ever seen, and I'll never forget that as long as I live. Strangers of the night in, in a new to a new level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. It's it's crazy. Number nine. This is a one of my few more traditional sports highlights on my list. Number nine, and everybody remembers this one, and you'll remember this one. Uh, Michael Jordan changing hands as he goes up. Ah, I'm Michael Jordan, so I don't need to dunk this ball. I'm just gonna fall down, and as I'm going, put it left-handed and lay it up off the glass. Just a just a talented thing. I, I mean, just. 1991 NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. There you go. But you know what? Like, if that had just been in an exhibition game, it still would have been memorable oh. to me. Well, I remember Marv Albert's call. A spectacular move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Good old Marv. Uh, if Mr. You, Hare. And if you ever want to laugh, listen to Dennis Leary's uh, bit about Marv Albert. Holy man, you'll <laughs> die laughing. That is funny. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Michael Jared and changing hands was just, I mean, the guy was the best, and that's it. Number eight is a million-way tie between every Barry Sanders highlight. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't even want to pick one. I, I've seen all the lists where they try to rank Barry Sanders' best plays. He is the most exciting player in the NFL uh, is history for sure. Maybe sports history. I don't know. That might not be fair, but maybe Barry Sanders is the most talented guy ever, and it's why I can't ever forgive the Detroit Lions. And then they did it again with Megatron. They might be doing it again with Matthew Stafford. They just they refuse to win, and and it. I don't know anything like it. Like even the Cleveland Browns, I think, are trying to win. They just suck at everything. Yeah. But the Detroit Lions, it's like they don't want to win. And then when Barry Sanders is like, "Yeah, I'm kind of sick of this shit," and they still won't try to win. I don't know. I just. I really wish that rumored trade had happened back when he was in his prime, if they could have traded him to the Cowboys. Not that I wanted the Cowboys to win more than they did back then or ever, but, I mean, Barry Sanders for Emmett Smith in a first-round pick? Can you imagine? Oh, my. Fuck, Troy Aikman would still be playing. They'd still be winning. <laughs> like, Barry Sanders would be 50. He'd still be playing and winning. It'd be crazy. So, yeah, but any Barry Sanders highlight. I can watch Barry Sanders highlights all day. Just, Just fantastic. Number seven. And again, you'll see, like I say, a lot of mine aren't necessarily uh, while the play was going on. But Joe Sackick handing the cup to Ray Bork before he even celebrates. That's the classiest thing I think I've ever seen in sports. Uh, Joe, like, you know, the captain always is the guy who gets to have the cup first and hold it up. And Joe Sackick had won a cup before, so he had gotten to do that before, in fairness. But didn't even think about it. He just immediately grabs the cup and hands it to Ray. Like, he doesn't even, like, there you go, Ray. It's yours. And then Ray's crying as he takes it. And it's just an amazing moment. And then that, and then he goes out on top, finally winning that elusive cup. He got traded to Colorado just to try to win the cup. Wins it, retires. I mean, as as storybook, movie, perfect as you can get. An emotional moment, a classy moment. 
Always respect Joe Sackick. I never want to be too hard on him. I know he hasn't quite gotten the GM thing down as, as well as maybe Iserman and his contemporary similar guys did. But Sackick, I think he'll figure it out. He seems like a smart guy. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that classy moment. I remember a friend of mine uh, back in the day, not my friend anymore because uh, he never forgave me for putting, uh, changing his computer wallpaper to gay porn. And... <laughs> And I think his relatives or his wife or somebody saw it. And so he never talked to me again. But that guy's dad. Easy come, easy go. Yeah, you know. So he said that uh, his dad, that was the only time he ever saw his dad cry was when Sackick handed the uh, cup to Bork. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an amazing moment. I'll never forget that. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. And at number six, this one was during play, uh, Alex Ovechkin's goal when he's on his back. When he gets hit, falls down, scores from his back. Uh, really, the goalie could have done a better job, frankly. But, uh, you know, an amazing goal from, again, uh, the greatest goal scorer period of all time. And we will see that when he passes Gretzky one of these days. I do have one comment about your Barry Sanders thing. And, and um, I totally agree with it. But I'm, I'm, I'm not second guessing or anything. I just have a, something to add. This is more amazing when I think about it. Barry Sanders in 1993, there was a playoff game, a wild card game against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. And the Packer defense has never been better, has never replicated this since. But just think about this. In that game, in that playoff game, Barry Sanders was as healthy as you could be, considering that they had played 16 regular season games and yada, yada, yada. This was the wild card game in 93 at Lambeau, 93 or 94, somewhere in there, at Lambeau. And the Packer defense, led by Reggie White, held Barry Sanders in that game to minus one rushing yard. Hmm. That is just unconscionable that, to me. A, that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. All right. Um, my numbers 10 through 6 of my ten top 10 sports highlights of all time. I'm going to do it. I don't care. This is my list. I can do whatever the hell I want. Number 10, um, we all know... That, that uh, I used to be a big baseball fan. I'm kind of coming to the side of the dark side of baseball because of how poorly it's been run. Um, certainly during the Manfred administration and some periods, obviously during the Bud Light, Bud Selig uh, administration. Um, but in my number 10 goes back to a couple of performances during the home run derby at the All-Star game. If you remember... This was the last time that the All-Star game was held at the old Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. The new one is built right across the street. But in 2006, 2007, somewhere in there, Josh Hamilton, then of the Texas Rangers, put on a power display that obviously I have never forgotten. It was unbelievable. And I have two names on this list. Not only was Josh Hamilton's performance unbelievable in the last All-Star game and the last home run derby in the old Yankee Stadium. But I think last year, when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays, I think had 29 dings in his first round uh, at his first at-bat or something astronomical like that. I mean, it ended up being a hell of a competition between him and the kid from the L.A. Dodgers, Peterson, their left fielder, Jock Peterson. But that first round for Vladimir Guerrero last year at the All-Star game was unfreaking believable what that young man did and it was the, the, obviously Guerrero didn't go on to win it 
But that round when he had 29 dings in the home run competition was outstanding. And the way, I mean, there were no cheapies. He got, he got, he got full meal deal on every one of those 29 homers or whatever it was. And it was an unbelievable power display and very much like Josh Hamilton's back at the last time the All-Star game was played at the old Yankee Stadium in the Bronx in New York. And so those two performances for those singular rounds, Josh Hamilton and Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s individual performances at home run derbies, that was number 10 on my list. Kind of strange, but obviously I remember it. But number nine in my list goes back to a singular rivalry between two teams that absolutely hate each other, and it's not the Bears and the Packers. It's the Lakers and the Celtics. Going back to their rivalry in the 80s, and it had a special connectivity and a special connection to me because I was there. Um, I saw and heard about when the late, when the Celtics would... Uh, turn up the heaters in the Lakers hotel so they'd sweat the night away when in an already hot, humid June in Boston, Massachusetts, or when supposedly the little Celtic guy would turn off the water to the showers in the Lakers locker room in that old piece of shit known as the Boston Garden. But the Lakers and the Celtics rivalry in the 80s, these are the two franchises that have the most championships between them, 17 for the Celtics and 16 for the Lakers. But the passion and really the hate that these two played uh, played with against each other in that time frame was unbelievable. And when they met uh, in the 84, the 85, excuse me, the 84, the 86, and the 87 uh, championship finals in that decade were three of the most memorable finals of all time. And if you look at it this way, folks, I would sit here, if Chris was the biggest Boston Celtics fan, we would argue this until we were blue in the face. But I truly believe if Gerald Henderson doesn't intercept the bad James Worthy cross-court pass that was supposed to go to Byron Scott, if Gerald Henderson doesn't intercept that ball, the Lakers go home to L.A. in 84, up two games to nothing instead of being the series tied 1-1. And I think you have a different outcome in the 84 finals between the Lakers and the Celtics. Um, I really believe, and I've argued this with people before, folks, that the Lakers very easily could have had eight championships in the 80s instead of just the five that they got. They got five in the 80s, and if I truly believe in my heart of hearts, they won in 80, but in 81, um, they got upset in the Western Conference Finals by the Houston Rockets. In 83, James Worthy breaks his leg, they went to the finals but lost to Moses Malone. The faux, 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 you know, Moses, not the brightest, not the sharpest knife in a drawer. But I really believe that the Lakers could have won with some, you know, a little luck of the Irish, a little pun there on the Celtics. Um, number eight, um, you've heard me mention this guy's name a thousand times, and it probably will until the day he hangs up his golf clubs. But to me, one of the top 10 sports highlights for me was Tiger winning his first major championship at the Masters last April for his first major championship in 11 years. That was special. Regardless of all the indiscretions and despite all the all the other extracurricular crap in, in Tiger's life, for him to finally win the Masters, make it his 15th major championship, and to be able to share it with his kids um, was really special. And that's why, uh, for the historical aspect of it, very, very special to me. 
Number seven, I think I'm going to get Chris with this one, but I think this guy has really has an axe to grind with the NBA. And I can see why this guy will not participate in the slam dunk competition again. I have seen Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic twice dominate the slam dunk championship on All-Star Weekend at the All-Star Game of the NBA every February. And I've seen Aaron Gordon get screwed twice by the NBA. Aaron Gordon being the best dunker meant nothing in the end result, but watching Gordon in two slam dunk competitions and getting screwed in both was and is a travesty in my estimation. Number six, my last one before we hand the microphone back over to Chris. This is a very sentimental one for me. So right off the bat, you know it involves the state of Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Badger football team making it to the 1993 Rose Bowl and beating UCLA 21-16 after not having been there in Pasadena since 1963 is one of the greatest accomplishments in my sporting life. This was a team when Barry Alvarez came on board in 1990 to take over the Wisconsin program and three years later you're in Pasadena is one of the greatest coaching jobs ever, considering that the 1989 Wisconsin team ended the year at 1-11. They were one of the worst programs in all of major college football. They couldn't attract flies to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, partially because of the academic standard, but partially because the football team was dog shit. Barry Alvarez left a successful national championship-winning staff under Lou Holtz at Notre Dame, to take the woebegone Wisconsin job. And three years later, Coach Alvarez had the Badgers in the Rose Bowl and not only had them in the Rose Bowl, but had them winning a Rose Bowl 21-16 to over UCLA. And that is one of the greatest sports highlights of my life for damn sure. Now going on for his numbers five through number one, Chris, you're up. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so a very different list between us as predicted. No surprise there. Uh, so my number five is uh, is a pretty unique situation because, and I, I feel like I might forget, be forgetting something, but there have been 35 WrestleManias, and I think out of all of those, there's only been one match that was real, and what we call a shoot match, and that was Butterbean versus Bart Gunn at WrestleMania 15 in 1999. So what happened was they signed Butterbean, the famous tough man boxer, everyone knows Butterbean, Eric yeah. Esch, yeah. they signed him to a two- match deal not knowing what they were really going to do with him so they the first match they just used on some goofy thing against mark marrow and it was whatever it was just silly then they have one match left on this guy's contract and they think well what do we do with him and what they had recently been doing they had this tournament called the brawl for all which was when the wrestlers who were all friends and all used to working matches with each other had real fights against each other for a while and bart gunn ended up winning that tournament and so they thought, okay, well, at WrestleMania, why not just have Butterbean against Bart Gunn in a, like a, they made, they had to modify the rules a bit to make it like a, to make it actual tough man boxing. Cause, um, you know, Butterbean wasn't going to do anything with takedowns or anything like that. It had to be boxing. Uh, and poor Bart Gunn, an unbelievably tough guy, but it's memorable for me because it is the greatest knockout I've ever seen in my life. If you ever want to see what a KO looks like, I've watched a lot of boxing mixed martial arts, kickboxing, you know, you name it. This is the most clean, perfect 
KO in the history of combat sports at WrestleMania 19. It's also memorable for me because the late, the late great Gorilla Monsoon makes his last TV appearance standing on the outside. And uh, yeah, if you ever want to see a, a knockout, uh, he knocks him out so badly that like it look it looks like when he hits him, it looks like Bart Gunn's head is going to fly into outer space. Like it's, he almost kills him. Like it's unbelievable and it's just memorable. And I, there might be nobody on earth less appealing to be punched by than Butterbean. Like, I don't know. Is there anyone who'd be scarier to punch you than Butterbean? I don't know if there is. He's, he, that's, that's terrifying. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend it. It's, you know, you can watch it in a few seconds. Highly recommend Google or YouTube Butterbean versus Bart Gunn from WrestleMania 15 if you've never seen it. And, uh, and if anyone thinks that match isn't real, I don't know what to tell you because <laughs> that's real. Trust me. Anyway, number four, Pedro Martinez gives Don Zimmer what he deserves. I fucking loved that. I could, I could watch that on repeat over and over and over again because look, you don't go and attack seniors, but if they attack you, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> fuck them especially if they're part of the yankees organization by the way oh i like the yankees oh boy but anyway pedro martinez he called it the only regret of his career which i think was being too nice i've watched that over and over and over and over and over again don zimmer charges him yeah he reaches before and pedro doesn't even do anything at right. first. he waits till the last millisecond don zimmer has charged him he's angry he reaches out and he's either touches him or mm-hmm. a millisecond from touching him. And Pedro Martinez doesn't punch him in the face. He doesn't kick him. Nope. He just, Toro, hey. And like, you know, get out the red cape and, you know, whatever. And just kind of steers him to the ground. What the fuck was Don Zimmer thinking? You idiot. Know. Yeah. That's I, I, it right there. Like, yeah. you have to at some point be accountable. You don't get to say, oh, I'm 72. And so I get to run around and punch people and hit right. them and attack them. And they can't do anything. Yes, they can. They can defend themselves and fuck you. And that Don Zimmer guy, I just have no patience for. And I can watch that over and over again. And I love it every time. <laughs> Speaking of people getting what they deserve. Uh-oh. Number three. And this is just so beautiful. And as long as we live, we'll never, ever see karma to this level ever again. The, you know, people say one in a million. This is one in a billion, one in a trillion. I don't know what this is. But Steve Sullivan of the Chicago Blackhawks and the fan uh, if you've never seen this, and I think we've talked about it before, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, they're against Colorado, and they're you know trying to ice the puck, and an errant high stick hits Steve Sullivan, he gets cut on the bridge of the nose, and he's bleeding. And then the fan like, oh, look at your no, oh, you're bleeding, man, he, and he's taunting him, and because the the fan is sitting right by the crack in the glass, so I think you can hear him better. So he's kind of you can like Sullivan can hear what he's saying, and he, Sullivan's like, yeah, he was calling me some names, yeah, you know, and so then. Later on, Patrick was clearing the puck, goes over, hits that same fan on the side of the head, and he's gushing blood even more than Sullivan. So then Sullivan goes over and, of course, says, you know, you know, how's your mother, as you'd say, you know, and and uh, and then and the fa- and it's great because the fan, like, he's got the towel on his head holding the blood, and he, he seemed like, look up, like, what, 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 and he's freaking, and I had never noticed this until today. That alone would have made it number three on my list, but the guy is sitting there with, you know, you assume it's his wife or his girlfriend. And she knows that he was being an ass. So she's she's holding the the towel with one hand and, and helping him out. And then she laughs and she's on like Steve Sullivan's side and she looks at him and laughs when he's when he's yapping at the fan. And she gives him the thumbs up with a big smile. I've never noticed that till today. 
he's she's sitting there like yeah yeah he totally deserved it what an <laughs> asshole and it's so good and i mean you know well you'll never see that again as long as you live that what are the odds i wish every, i mean how many professional athletes have wished that some asshole fan yeah. was going to get his and other than you know the Bruins going into the stands or the Malice at the Palace. Like other than yeah. that type of stuff, the fans don't usually get it. I just, as Bill Burr said, the great comedian about the Malice at the Palace, he's like, you know, the fans are always like, "Oh, come up here! Why don't you come up there?" Well, they came up there, <laughs> as Bill Burr said. So there you go. Okay, number two is a tie because it's the same thing. It's both times that Chris Weidman beat Anderson Silva because fuck Anderson Silva, the yeah. guy I hated the most until John Jones came along. <laughs> And it, it's beautiful how they both happen because Anderson Silva didn't just lose and get knocked the fuck out, but he was being a cocky asshole and taunting him, right? So he's sitting there, he's, you know, he's trying to be Muhammad Ali. He's sitting oh, there with man. his hands down like, oh, oh, he missed me. Oh, he oh. missed me. And he's trying to like lean back and, oh, he missed me. So oh, he missed he got me. got tattooed. And then all of a sudden, boom, one hits him. <laughs> and he's down. And, he's, and he gets knocked out so badly, like his head's like, uh. He looks like a cookie monster or Bobblehead something. head day. Yeah. And then he's trying, and then the ref, and like Weidman's already walked away. And Anderson Silva's so out of, he's trying to like do a leg lock on the ref as the ref's standing over him because he has no idea what's going on. And that's great. And then they have the rematch and then Anderson Silva gets one of those catastrophic leg breaks, like where you, like your shin snaps in half type thing. Mm. Like one of those where you like, because still, yeah, it, it, it would make some people really sick to see it, but uh, I hate him so much. I didn't mind. And <laughs> the reason it happened was because Weidman had him scouted really well. He knew that Silva's going to do all these hard, like kickboxing style shin kicks to him. And so what he'd do, he'd do what you call checking the kick. If someone's kicking you in the leg, you lean your knee into it. You just move your knee over slightly, right? And it and so it was weakening his bone. And so then all of a sudden, he kicks him one time like that. It's one of those things where he doesn't know his leg's broken, then he steps on the leg that's kind of shattered already, and it's pretty bad. But anyway, uh, I loved it, and fuck Anderson Silva. <laughs> and number one for me is probably always... I mean, I guess, I guess I could potentially have a bigger number one at some point in my life, because this was, other than involving the Oilers, it wasn't anything overly special it was just a random january nhl game and the sad thing was even though this goal tied it up and sent it overtime dallas did beat edmonton overtime or else it would have been a much better finish if there could have been some great finish with the oilers win would have been better but the highlight is of course patrick stefan missing the empty net breakaway and then alex alish Hemsky scoring with two seconds left i've watched that clip hundreds of times literally and it's so many neat storylines there patrick stefan who, of course, went first overall in 1999. He was the one that was taken before the Sedins. Brian Burke had to, you know, make sure he had the second and third overall picks and make sure Dallas was not going to take a Sedin. And, you know, they, they wouldn't have played for Dallas anyway, not one of them by themselves anyway. And so they took Patrick Steffen, and then Vancouver takes the Sedins second and third overall. But with, uh, with, with Patrick Steffen, he was just one of those busts. He was just, you know, he he was Ryan Leaf. He was whatever he was supposed to. He's Nail Yakupov's maybe a good comparison, and he just sucked. And I mean, to have an empty net break, so you're up by a goal. You're up five to four. There's ten seconds left in the game. You have an em like a clear cut empty net breakaway. He didn't even have to skate. He was like barely moving, gliding in. It's not like he had to like rush himself or anything. No one's near him. The odds of the other team tying up the game. When you have an empty net, clear-cut empty net breakaway with 10 seconds left are like winning the lottery. Mm. And so he not only misses the empty net, but he falls down after. Like, 
<laughs> even him, if he did that again a thousand times, that would never he would never miss again. Right. And if he did, he would if he did, he'd feel like somehow fired it past the net, it would bounce back and he'd just shoot it in that time. Like, but he tries to deke out an empty net and an invisible goalie or something, and it skips over his his stick. And uh, then he falls down. My former neighbor, Jarrett Stoll, picks it up and shoots it down all the way down the ice to Ryan Smith, who makes a great sort of no-look pass to Alex Hemsky streaking up the middle. Great deke on Marty Turco. And it's in the net. And he almost, he deked him out so bad, he almost missed on the far side. And with two seconds left. And Ray Ferraro, you have to give him credit, with one of the all-time great color calls. I mean, Peter Labardius did an amazing job of the actual play-by-play call of it and then you you could almost hear I think that Ferraro might have been muting his mic or something because you don't hear him for a while I think he was mad and then he comes on and he just gave it to Stefan that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen you know Patrick Stefan you should be embarrassed you know that does not belong in the National Hockey League I've been around this game for 25 years that is unbelievable and he just gives it to him and Stefan deserved it and if you notice to this day when people have empty net breakaways in the NHL they are very careful. They don't even want to do a light wrist shot. They like, like you're three years old, they like guide it in like all the way because yeah. they don't want to be the next Patrick Stefan yeah. making an ass of yourself, <laughs> right? And being on the uh, highlights National forever. News, yeah. Yeah, so that's my favorite highlight. I've watched it hundreds of times and I'm sure I'll watch it hundreds more. Good list. Um, if you are just joining us, we welcome you to this 482nd episode of Unscripted. And uh, we're going through our top 10 sports highlights of all time. Chris has been through his 10. I've been through half of mine. And we'll get on to the bottom half of mine. We'll start with my number five. And this goes back just a couple of seasons. The Milwaukee Brewers, they were down five games in the National League Central standings to the Chicago Cubs. Actually, it was seven and a half games, if I'm correct. They were down, I believe, seven and a half games in the standings to the Chicago Cubs with a month to go back in 2018. And they come back, they force a 163rd game, the uh, the uh, winner-take-all of the National League Central Division, the 163rd game at Wrigley Field. They won their last seven regular season games, which included a four-game sweep in St. Louis and then a three-game sweep in Chicago to end the season. Or no, it wasn't in Chicago. It was against... It doesn't matter. They won their last seven games of the season. They forced game 163 on a Monday at Wrigley Field in Chicago. They win that game, and they steal the division championship away from the idiot Cubs and home field advantage throughout the upcoming Major League Baseball playoffs in the National League in 2018. That was any time you can stick it to the idiot Cubs. It's a good day in Brewerland. Um, number four on my list is a kind of an individual sport. Uh, well, obviously it's an individual sport in this regard. And I am not a fan of swimming or of Michael Phelps in general, but I have to say I have great respect for him and what he was able to do by winning 28 total Olympic medals during his prolific career, 23 of which were gold. And uh, obviously I think that is something and a highlight of my life, a sports highlight. Here's a guy who wins 28 medals and 23 of them happen to be gold. That's uh, I don't care if you're a pole vaulter, a shot putter, a basketball player, or whatever. If you take home gold 23 out of 28 times, um, yeah, you should be at the top of the mountain. There's no question about that. 
Number three on my list, and now we get into ones that Chris is going to say, I was wondering when they were coming, and here they come. Not that it has amounted to much in regard to winning championships, but as myself, a former high school, small-town little quarterback, to watch my beloved Green Bay Packers being quarterbacked the last 29 seasons by either Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers has been a privilege. Um, We haven't done enough to accumulate talent around those two individuals to bring home more championships, even though I believe in my heart of hearts, Super Bowl 32, if Mike Holmgren stays with the game plan that he did in the first half, if he'd have continued to do that in the second half, you wouldn't have had even, the Denver Broncos wouldn't have gotten close. But for some reason, we were running up the running the ball up and down all over the Denver Broncos' ass with Dorsey Levens in the first half, And for some reason, Holmgren decides to start throwing it around in the second half, and that led to a disaster, which led led to a John Elway comeback, and the Denver Broncos win their first Super Bowl at the expense of the Green Bay Packers in Super Bowl 32. But to watch two quarterbacks like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers quarterback your team the last 29 years has been an honor and a privilege, and I feel sorry for teams like the Miami Dolphins, Teams like the, oh, I don't know, um, who else? The Jacksonville Jaguars, um, now the New England Patriots, all these teams that have not had a franchise-winning quarterback, and we've had two of them back-to-back, eerily similar to the fans of the San Francisco 49ers who went from Joe Montana to Steve Young to Steve Bono. Um, You know, that has a lot to do with the success of a team. If you have a quarterback, you've got the one big missing part that not every team has. Um, Number two on my list goes back to February of 1983. And the reason I remember this is twofold. My dad and I skipped school and went skiing that day, but also that Friday night as we're coming back to our hometown from up uh, being up in the upper peninsula of Michigan skiing, The U.S. men's Olympic hockey team, led by goalie Jim Craig, Buzz Peterson, Mark Johnson, Gary Souter, and captained by Mike Eruzioni, for them to win the gold in 1980 is truly one of the greatest feats that I have ever witnessed and one of the biggest surprises in my sporting life for sure. For this team that had lost in the round-robin play to the Russians, got their ass kicked, to come back in medal round play, and beat the Russians on that Friday night 4-3, to and then beat Finland on Sunday to win the gold. But that was anticlimactic. After you beat the Russians, it was like nirvana. And for that team made up of a bunch of college players that nobody had really ever heard of, coached by Herb Brooks, to win the gold medal at that Winter Games in Lake Placid, New York, of all places, for the U.S. men's hockey team to win gold against a team that quite arguably had NHL caliber players on their Russian red team for that team put together again by uh, Herb Brooks, but Jim Craig, Buzz Peterson, Mark Johnson, Gary Souter. I guess of all those guys, maybe Gary Souter had the best professional career. Maybe I, you know, he played for Badger Bob here in Calgary. Uh, But for that vagabond of of college hockey players to get it together over a two-week period and bring home the gold 
while the games are played in the state of New York. One of the greatest surprises in my sporting life for sure. Number one on my list should come as no surprise to anybody, so I won't dabble along and talk about it a lot. Facts of the matter is, is that this is the honest to God truth. In my lifetime, I've seen the Green Bay Packers win Super Bowls 1, 2, 31, and 45. And previous to that, they had won nine other championships pre-Mike. This was the pre-Super Bowl era. But for the 13 championships overall that the Green Bay Packers have won, that has made them the winningest team in to this date in National Football League history. And God forbid, we always need to stay at least four ahead of the team that sits in second place with nine overall NFL championships, and that is the hated Chicago Bears. As long as we can stay ahead of the Chicago Bears, life is good. Um, that's my list. Um, you shouldn't be surprised by it. A lot of Wisconsin content in it because when that's where you were born and raised, um, you know, um, that's what you reflect. And as you know, we've seen the divide between big market teams and small market teams. Obviously, every team from the state of Wisconsin is a small market team. And when they can knock heads with the big boys, it's really a nice thing to be able to do. And if the NBA season ever does get back on in 2019, 2020, I would like to add one to this list, but I couldn't do it at this point because we don't know if the NBA season is going to resume. But if it does, and the Milwaukee Bucks end up winning their first NBA championship since 1971, that will go to number one on my list for sure. Head of the Packers. Head of the Packers. Why? Goddamn right. Well, because the Packers have won in my lifetime. Oh, okay. Um, more than once. The Milwaukee Bucks have not won since 1971 and have not been in the NBA Finals since 1974. For them to accomplish that, for a guy from Wisconsin, that would be the cherry at the top of the of the uh, cake for sure. Um, we've got to run on this very interesting and very fun 482nd episode of Unscripted. And before we get out of here, I do have to make, again, a reminder to you. And again, I'm going to continue to ask that you please help us to continue with Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Um, if you want to go to our Patreon page, that would be awesome. Leave some comments. You can do that. Chris has each individual episode up on our Patreon page. He also has different levels if you want to throw us a few bucks. But ultimately, the biggest goal here, folks, is that we need to do better on our subscriptions. And ultimately, if you go to the five different social media avenues that you can go to and subscribe to Unscripted, I would really appreciate it. Chris would really appreciate it if you would do so. And those five items or those five social media avenues that you can go and just one click subscribe. It's just like sh online shopping folks, except this doesn't cost you any money. And during this COVID-19 pandemic that we're in, where we're really looking for entertainment and, you know, something to do, this is giving you something to do. Listen to Chris and I, talk about our 10 favorite sports highlights. If you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify and subscribe to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, we'd be greatly, greatly, greatly indebted to all of you because we need to, we need to start improving on some of our numbers in regard to our subscription rate. And this is the cheapest and easiest way to do it. And if you could do that for us, 
we would be eternally grateful. Having said all that, for the executive producer of our little program, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.